0: Lovely friends talking fantasy podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan.
1: I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my
0: friend, Charles. I am ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, and not just any fantasy today. Because today... Ooh. We have a very popular, uh, beloved book on our hands, Dylan. Uh, we've got The House in the Cerulean Sea by TJ Clune. And, you know, this one has been on the TBR for me for a while. I even had started reading it at one point when I was on my vacation last year. And we've been blazing through the Stormlight Archive. And we've been, those are like huge epic fantasy like sword and sorcery knights fighting like detailed yeah. magic blazing systems. is generous <laughs> well I, <laughs> at like, times it felt like we were plotting through <laughs> the
1: stormlight archive but yeah we we made it all the way uh, through at least all the way through the, all the released books and then mm-hmm. we completely shifted gears yeah well we also read the green saga Cerulean which sea, had
0: plenty of drama that we did we read the Black Tongue Thief, and like people were like getting eaten alive in that book. So you know we've been going through yes. a lot.
1: Although there was threat of people being eaten alive by cannibals in this book, uh, at least imaginary <laughs> threat of that. Uh, the cannibals never quite struck. Uh,
0: <laughs> no, this kind of this pretty the much... house in the cerulean Sea. Well said. This keeps a pretty PG rating, and we chose it specifically for those reasons. I was like, Dylan, we need a palate cleanser. You know, we've got other books on the short-term list to read for the show, but this one was, to me, stood out as like the good feels, like fun story, like relax, have a good time, peace and love all over the place kind of odd. And So <laughs> that's why we chose it, and that's what we hope to bring to this episode today. Isn't that right, Dylan? that is right
1: this was a palate cleanser i felt like i was uh you know having some that spicy tuna roll when it came to Mm. the black tongue thief i felt like uh then i was you know hitting the stormlight archive and i had some some salmon and then finally i'm like let me get some ginger in the mix here because <laughs> my mouth is starting to taste pretty fishy and the house in the cerulean sea uh, was just like that delicious bit of ginger that you come away from. And you're like, all right, I'm ready to go read the rage of dragons. <laughs> next <laughs> Cause that's going to be like another, another epic fantasy full of blood. So oh, yeah, I I'm, like in the first yeah.
0: scene, people are getting killed in all kinds of spectacular ways in quite a bit of detail. Um, but, you know, Dylan, ginger is a good one. But I would also, maybe it's like a green tea ice cream, you know, like a sweet dessert. Ooh, you know? That's better. Yeah, I was just... or much Strawberry much ice cream? Hmm? Anyone? But first. I
1: feel like that comes at the end of the meal. So then, I like the sweetness of it, because mm-hmm. the house on the Cerulean Sea, right. sweet was kind of is a perfect descriptor of it. it. Yeah. But the uh, the end of the meal, mm-hmm. like aspect because we're we're diving back into more uh more sushi after this so i i I see it though sweet definitely i think this is probably the book that most fits the descriptor of sweet of any that we have read on -hmm. this entire podcast do you agree with that one
0: I would definitely agree, and I'm more than thankful for it, and I think like the world is more than thankful for it, at least America, because it's a New York Times bestseller, USA Today bestseller, Washington Post bestseller, you know, all kinds of best books, of not just fantasy, but best books, period, um, when it came out, including, I think it was in the Goodreads runnings too, if I'm not mistaken, so just like absolutely beloved by anyone that comes across it so it was a goodreads choice award nominee for best fantasy in 2020 uh so yeah all all good things here and i also feel like it's like a i feel like every time i walk into barnes noble i see these books being like prominently featured touted out touted yeah yeah. so uh, nothing but nothing but love for this book so i was finally like the curiosity got the better of me, and the need for this kind of story couldn't have been higher after finishing Rhythm of War, so super, super, I, 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 it, to me, it, it meant that it scratched that itch, and, and it was very satisfying, and it was the perfect length, you know, you could fit like six of these in Rhythm of War, but it was a good length, it was a good story, yeah. uh, good vibes all around, that was my experience anyway.
1: I had the same exact experience, Charles. This delivered all the. Sometimes a book gets hyped up a lot, and you're like, all right, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to quite hit what everyone is saying it's going to hit. Exactly. Uh, But I, I think also the way that the book is pitched is really accurate which is not always the case. I think we had a whole conversation on The Black Tongue Thief where we were like, love that book, five-star read from both of us. But we came away like, I don't feel like the way people are trying to sell this book is accurate to what The Black Tongue Thief (laughs) ended up being. Uh, This book, I feel like, is exactly what everyone is saying it is. It is heartwarming. It is sweet, like we said earlier. It is relatively easy reading and uh it's just yeah it's it's fun i think it's uh v e schwab uh called it as on the front of my book uh said i loved it it is like being wrapped up in a big gay blanket simply perfect and i think that (laughs) it's like it is you know that that feeling of just coziness that uh, it's that she's getting at, totally, fit. and it's so. It's I'm it's very, very happy.
0: Sincere too. It's not like a story that is necessarily pandering or like a Lifetime movie where it's like stupid. It's actually, <laughs> it, it it's even though it could be like it kind of has those Lifetime movie vibes, but I don't want to sell after school special. Yeah, you know, it's like here way. you you've got the like everyday boring guy and all of a sudden here's this beautiful person <laughs> who runs this exotic you know orphanage i guess you call uh, it true. right on the beach and you're that like oh could he be the one for me like i don't know <laughs> <laughs> it <laughs> and it is one them, of those uh, they have the falling well, well we should probably get into spoiler yeah, territory should, yeah, before no, i go I've any heard, further totally but uh yeah. i think it's time for i think
1: you you went just far enough that is yeah. okay for this <laughs> yeah, section. Yeah, I think but so. As yeah, well.
0: let's, uh... <laughs> Highly recommend. I think, we're... you know, check it out if you haven't. And yeah, I think, Dylan, we're ready for one of your famous spoiler warnings.
1: Yeah, this one's pretty simple. Uh, if you haven't yet read The House in the Cerulean Sea, we're going to have a no holds barred conversation about it where we get into full spoilers. So uh, you might want to turn this down down in your headphones if you're not looking to have anything spoiled for you and definitely check out this book because it is fantastic
0: well said dylan and then i think that allows me to continue my point a little bit it does have like the you know that that like near the end where they break away and then they come back together and you know it is that it is that story arc yeah
1: (laughs) yeah the rom-com always has to have that moment where they sort of break apart and they reflect Mm -hmm. and eventually that reflection leads to reuniting it's a very rare rom com where that doesn't happen. So, I don't know. You got you got me thinking about A House in the Cerulean Sea, a little rom com movie. It's got the extra bits to it, which is why I went after school special, which is like all the kids learning to accept themselves and love each right. other and like come all the to supernatural see the supernatural stuff and the
0: jokes and yeah. all that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, it's kind of got a nice. Uh, mix of and just the themes are very after school especially among among what the kids learn and learn about themselves and learn about the world uh it it also does the only part that really surprised me in this one was the like exploration of prejudice and the way that Mm -hmm. uh, the you know especially the kids and being magical beings uh, how that's used as uh, kind of a stand in for uh, both the way that g- in general, like orphans and like folks who come from more troubled backgrounds are viewed as being kind of like by nature, sometimes like obviously falsely uh, believed to be uh, like Something inherently wrong with them or like oh they come from uh, uh some sort of like damned background where they'll never be able to be molded and shaped into productive members of society mm-hmm. uh and I, I think that's like rampant in how people often like view uh, orphaned folks and even like making the metaphor real through the like uh Lucy is literally the son of the devil, so it's like sometimes people have this prejudiced view where like that person comes from bad stock, their nature is bad, they'll never be good. And then with Lucy, it's like, all right, this person's literally uh, from the <laughs> devil. So, <Yeah. laughs> and I love that's part of what we talked about in our like why we love fantasy discussion way mm. back when we recorded an episode on that as two years plus ago. But uh, we were talking about how you get to make something that's kind of like a metaphoric issue. It's like, and then make it, what if we make this literal and explore these themes through that lens? Mm -hmm. And I I love how the house in the Cerulean Sea approaches. I didn't think there'd be like themes about serious matters, like like prejudice.
0: Right. I wasn't really quite expecting that plot thread either, but one of the things that I like most about the book is TJ Klune's approach to all of his themes. I thought they were very um, thoughtful, very considerate and nuanced as well. You know, you've got some of these like granted there's like, obviously like people in the town are like objectively bad, but it's always approached from this understanding around well there's I call this ignorance in the world there's this bureaucracy in the world getting away from us and maybe I've like worked too hard to isolate the kids you know there is a little bit of ownership on both sides and they really do kind of talk it out in a book that's overall very I'm gonna say simple but you know what I mean where it's like it's presented as to be a fun entertaining story and it's not really like a nuanced take on prejudice but it is too and i think the fact that he was able i think to, it is yeah it is and the fact he was able to kind of convey that in what is often described as like a light feel-good read it is a really impressive skill yeah the way that
1: the way that for example tj clune has some of the townsfolk like there's J Bone who's
0: uh, <laughs> up, definitely indeed? indulging
1: in yeah, <laughs> definitely indulging in some extracurricular activity. Uh, he talks about growing his own plants, and I think mm-hmm. we can uh, figure out that that's probably weed. And <laughs> j Bone is like he's all like, oh like little Lucy, like you radical dude. Like he's all like, it, he's an example of someone who, like, is not super judgmental or prejudiced against uh, these kids. And then his co-worker, Marty, is the complete opposite, like, trying to exercise Lucy. <laughs> so I think that it, I it'd just be super easy, like, low-hanging fruit for TJ Kloon to be like, and all the townspeople were bad and mean and racist. And like... Well, I think this kind of mirrors the like real world of the real world experience of, of folks who come from uh, like uh, minority groups that face this prejudice where there's there are people out there. It's interesting because they kind of uh, stress that a lot of them are, are younger folks who mm. have more, uh, I guess, uh, accepting and inclusive views on the magical being so even if those folks still make mistakes like there's helen the mayor like even if helen's still having some issues truly understanding things like she's trying as are some of these other folks and i, I don't know that's the nuance to me i feel like some like uh, some stuff that can get kind of preachy is oh, yeah. when it's like and all the townspeople are bad like and you're bad reader. <laughs>
0: right. right. It's so easy to make a villain who's just got like a southern twang and is like, You're the antichrist, I exercise you go back to where you came from, you know, like it's way too easy to just have that be your I'm gonna say straw man for your for your narrative. And those characters are represented in the story, but it's a lot more nuanced than that. And there's characters with good intentions like the mayor who maybe needed to meet some of these kids to recognize some of her own, you know, bias just from having never gone to the Island and she's the mayor, you know? So it was just, um, it was really appreciated. I think of how many times, like, think of a modern Disney movie or something where they, Their choice to bring in, I'm going to say representation and their choice to bring in like some of these themes that TJ Klune has brought in can be kind of like, you know, insincere and they can be a bit straw manny and and like, you know, the person's so like, like good, just to be good. And then this person's just bad to be bad and they go at each other. And I I think this is why TJ Klune's book is being so celebrated because he was able to bring so much honesty and heart into this discussion and make it feel very like connectable, not just, you know, within the LGBT community, which it's certainly beloved, but you know, outside of that as well to become a national bestseller across multiple um, genres, and I think that's because he tells a human story at the heart, and he knows how to be honest to his characters and to his themes, without trying to, you know, push like anything to one side. I'm very impressed by it. It's it's like you go in thinking you're getting like a light popcorn rom com, and you come out being like, more people should be reading this, and like expanding their, like being more open-minded. You know, it it that's what I like about it.
1: Yeah, that's really well said, Charles. And I think that 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 nuance is even extended to the idea that Linus is like. It's interesting. I feel like the caseworker coming in to investigate the, you know, the orphanage and see if everything's up to snuff. Who's super. Uh, how how would we describe Linus like and his rule abiding ways? like that's a good word for that? Yeah. He's like very because um, it's not ve- I don't want to say anything that has a bad like a bad tint to it because he's so well meaning. No, he's, he's just very so like,
0: thorough and bureaucratic and um uh conscientious administrative about this. and Yeah. Um, by the rule book. Rule abiding is just rule
1: abiding, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, anyway, that person feels like they would, A, not be the main character uh, in typical book, like you could totally see Arthur being the main character of mm-hmm. like a typical book about this. Like, I'm trying to save my orphanage and here comes yeah. this like rule abiding guy and we have to sell this to him. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, almost the caseworker becomes a villain in those stories eventually you could see them coming around and learning and all that kind of stuff but they're seen as this like antagonistic force that might shut down your orphanage and instead we get Linus as the main character which is uh, super cool and we get more insight into his motives and how much he cares about the children and just the way that he uh, is uh, has always I guess naively seen adhering super close to the rules as a way of of doing that so i i love the choice to make linus the main character instead of someone like arthur
0: absolutely he's definitely not your typical fantasy hero that's for sure and (laughs) a lot of the attributes attributed to him like he's in really interesting balance of traits right when you think about it where he's like doesn't have any friends really and he's not aggressive at all but he is very much good at his job and prideful and so it's this interesting balance that this kind of created he looks very unassuming but he does have a strong drive to do the right thing for these children like these children that he takes on almost as wards not just in the cerulean sea but like and even in the prologue where he's meeting with kids, you know, you can tell he has that extra, he goes that extra mile. But what's well-balanced about it is, yeah, he goes the extra mile, but when Arthur really challenges him, it's like, hey, what Like, what do you think happens when you recommend to close a school? And it's like, well, that's out of my purview. You know, it's out of my scope of responsibility. Right. I'm following the rules. I do my job, and then I move on. And that's a trait that, you want for the job but then when you actually consider how it like the implications it has on real people and children uh, and he he starts to change his ways so it's not it's like a it's a very unique character moment in fantasy like sure we get people be, being challenged all the time especially like oh you work for the government but have you considered the government was bad <laughs> it's like oh here think you're doing the right thing but you know you Like, how much of this is you looking away? Like, did you even consider that, like, your job is structured not necessarily to help kids? You know, so it's a very interesting, very interesting character, that Linus Baker.
1: For sure. And the telling of a more small scale intimate story (laughs) allows for over the course of about 400 pages Uh, Linus's shift from, like, I care about kids, uh, but I've always, like, had a very uh, limited view on what it means to care about kids in my role, like a structured view. And then coming to, like, let these kids into his heart and open himself up to things like like love and the relationship as well. And, uh, like, that transformation... Uh, uh is it's very realistic over the course of the novel while there's 400 page novels that we've read where someone goes from like uh a really unassuming uh like a farm boy not that wheel of time is a good example of this because uh because <laughs> that's what that seems to elicit for a lot of folks because that <laughs> takes place over many 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 pages but we've Mm. read stories where uh over the course of 400 pages someone goes from like very unassuming to like and now i'm the hero of the world
0: Mm. and it's
1: like that's a hard character development to do in a way that feels true uh but the uh, in that amount of time uh but the i've learned to be like open myself up more and i've learned to be uh I guess I'm trying to think of, again, the right word to go from, like, I'm really rule-abiding and structured to, like, I am willing to play a little bit more fast and loose with the rules for the, like, greater good of these kids. Like, that can happen very naturally, and it feels rewarding because you're like, I buy that this is happening.
0: <laughs> right. Well, he's what's interesting is he's allowed his personality and his sense of self and his thoughts and beliefs to come into what he does which he's pushed out and you can almost see how he's isolated himself in his whole life right to and this is all part of that and what's interesting about the character is yes part of that is him like being good at his job but the other greater part of it is his overall character and his view of himself right he he doesn't think about any he has no ambition you could say like he's happy where he is he's he's not trying to meet people his neighbor is always trying to push her grandson on him and he's he's always like he's complacent that's the perfect word right not happy complacent so but that's like he built those walls around himself right so as we watch his sense of self get improved just by being around people that care about him we watch that affect his job and we watch his job change with it and i think that's the the element of humanity that tj clune was able to pull not just into Linus baker but the whole cast the way he was able to pull heart and humanity into this story is probably his greatest skill in in this book, I would think. And I say humanity, even though we've got the Antichrist and wyverns and gnomes and things, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> the, this the, this this love, I'll say, that he was able to bring, and these like honest moments throughout the whole book, these 400 pages, and. The interactions that they have it's not all plot fulfilling narrative dump here's why i'm doing this exposition stuff it's hey we're just gonna go on an adventure and have fun we're gonna like get ice cream we're gonna buy records and you live in that moment with those characters and um, the humanity he builds in like lioness starts to and the book presents it as almost like unknowingly, he starts to have that extra button come down he forgets his, he loses his tie and he's like, oh, well, I guess I don't need Well, that. he's running out of buttons, Charles, because <laughs> he keeps giving them away to, to Theodore. You know? Right, right. <laughs> and,
1: uh, I mean, buttons are, are at a premium. That's
0: uh, true. Later
1: in the book. Yeah. <laughs> And that does lead into, I guess we should talk some about the kids uh, mm-hmm. because, uh, some of them, especially Lucy go through some, uh, really Lucy is the only one that I'd say has an action. Oh no, Sal as well. I would say those two really have character arcs. Uh, the other kids, you know, they grow to some extent, but for the most part, I would not say that they go through too many arcs, um maybe I'm missing one, but I guess we should start with lucy. uh it's mm. it's interesting. Lucy kind of got on my nerves a little bit at the start <laughs> of the book. Uh, and it's just because uh, yeah, I I know that this was done intentionally, but the whole like Lucy is just being a total edge lord. it was I, it was just a little too much. For me, that it was like every line. It felt like every page or two. I was like, I, I I get what you're doing with Lucy. But it does. Yeah, it does set the stage for Lucy's development to be really rewarding. And as you see his like true self come out and his how much he actually cares about those around him, uh, including eventually Linus, it, it makes that more fulfilling, I think.
0: Right, you get to see like that that over the top edge lord humor can in many cases be a mask for the insecurities or the depression that they have going on personally. And it's only after we spend more time with Lucy and like overnight you see the nightmares and the way people treat them that this is like a, a a mask you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of the show bob's burgers with louise <laughs> does it now <laughs> yeah because she's the I haven't same watched way. a lot of bob's burgers though okay. <laughs> i get a lot of very similar vibes from this show that i do for bob's burgers it's like a it's like a very modern loving family dynamic but they have their own unique way of communicating they're right on the sea except they're in new jersey i think or new jersey-esque vibes ah uh, jersey Shore. Uh, yeah, And, uh, you know, Louise, Lucy, there's some similarities to be had here, but she's the same yeah. way where it's just like over the top. Uh, <laughs> so you got to squint a little bit. No, but it's just, <laughs> just to say that. that it's this over the top, like, I'm an edged lord, look at me make jokes about like people eating you or your eyes being gouged out or whatever other cre- highly creative but mature things I can think to say to shock you can sometimes be a mask for the extreme emotions that they're feeling and don't know how to process. And I think that was captured well with Lucy as we got to know her. It's like, yeah, I do think the whole book and not just Lucy, him, him, right, 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 him. Thank you. Is that, you know, across the whole book, not just Lucy, but every character, the whole narrative is like a joke every other sentence. So you got to kind of work with that a little bit, which, Whatever, but um, it's that it's every single child has that bit of like, I'm not. He picks these character traits that give them this honesty and give them this sensitivity that you know they're not all the same, but you can connect with them so completely. Like I connected with every single one of these characters and they all got to have their moment. You know, Linus got to have his moment at the end with Extremely Upper Management where he rants about every single kid one after the other and everything they were able to face and overcome. And you're like, wow, you know, I am actually invested in all these characters, um, some more than others, obviously. There's one that just like eats buttons, but um, collects buttons and bites them. Doesn't eat them. He doesn't eat them. He hoards them. (laughs) He bit one. (laughs) i <laughs> some credit for that but uh that's that's um yeah that's the point i was trying to make is it, it's it's a mask for their emotional insecurity which maybe it's still a little over the top but at least it's honestly built into the character it's like they're the son of the devil they know what people think of them they like they know how to you know, make people uncomfortable and that's better than trying to let them in and risk getting hurt
1: yeah, that's well said, Charles. They each have kind of their own defense mechanisms and mm-hmm. ways that they uniquely uh, deal with their insecurities. Maybe not each, because it feels like, I don't know, does Talia have any insecurities that are detectable? I mean, she has lived like over 200 years, so right. I think you work a lot of stuff out by that point. But yeah, like, she's Sal, learned a
0: lot from Arthur
1: Panassis, you know? yeah. Uh, but someone like Sal obviously has huge insecurities and rather than like going sort of outward the way that uh, Lucy deals with his insecurities where he's like oh I'm going to like make a big scene out in the world I'm going to like say all these edgy things Sal goes inward Mm -hmm. and uh, quite literally turns into a small dog when threatened and I think that his, I don't know, his arc really tugged at my heartstrings in a mm-hmm. way that even the Lucy arc, maybe you'd consider Lucy like the the main uh, character among the kids. Like Sal, actually, who's been through so much, mm-hmm. actually willing to open himself up eventually to... Ooh, Linus and even those like I love the subtlety of the moments where these characters make progress oh, where again there's this temptation that you could have to go over the top with like how Sal might react to you <laughs> might you know the like, guy's, guy's trying to and, excise and Lucy
0: and Sal pushes him off the cliff and he falls to his death you know <laughs> <laughs> sure
1: but I'm thinking about Sal's Moment with uh, Linus where he's like, oh, can you help me move my typewriter out from my closet into into my main room, which. Is this like, oh, I'm kind of like going a little closer out into the world now. And like, it's okay if when you're walking by my room, you can hear that I'm clacking away on the typewriter and like, I'm trusting you, Linus, to help me with this thing that is so important
0: to me. And they made a point to say he could probably move it on his own and didn't really need help, but asked for it anyway. You know, it's the, the incredible nuance of that whole moment is well, well identified. Yeah, and you could have
1: such a like bigger event, but I think it makes the moment feel bigger that we're not distracted by all these other elements and TJ Klune really trusts the reader to be like, "Oh wow, like the moving of a typewriter is huge here." And I think mm-hmm. that's one of Klune's strengths is that ability to make moments that feel so uh, like so big. Out of events that are relatively small where it's like we're so used to as like epic fantasy readers. It's like these gigantic moments uh, and it's like I'm more invested in the moving of a typewriter than I am in some epic fantasy books over like the outcome of a giant battle. And that's really huge props to Clune for his ability to do that.
0: A hundred percent. And when we say that we, you know, love characters above almost all else in a story, it's moments like these. And I can't tell you how many TV shows I've seen, especially fantasy TV shows, where they'll like the writers just completely miss this concept of we get so much more out of a character in these small intimate moments than we ever could of them just going from duel to duel or talking in the castle (laughs) being like things have changed since you've been away you can't trust people like you used (laughs) to like can like you know it's this thing i desperately crave in a fantasy story it's like just let these characters be the characters and let their victories be their victories and to your point dylan that just um Sal asking the asking the question, can you help me move the bookcase, is such a more profound, honest moment than he could have done if he, like, all of a sudden, like, defended the whole team by speaking up and puffing out his chest and fighting somebody, yeah. you know? It's like, there's a huge victory <laughs> here, and I think TJ Kloon's restraint, but also deft mm. hand is had huge payoffs in the story, especially when it's so much about like families and relationships and like, especially when it's trying to be so relatable um, and connect with you so emotionally, it's like that. With so many great decisions being made in the characterization. and I think that moment with Sal is a great example of that.
1: Restraint's a great word for it, Charles. And um, how, how many times on this podcast have we read a book that no one dies
0: in? <laughs> I believe um, that is The Wizard of Earthsea? Rare. Like.
1: <laughs> no, someone dies in. I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's. Oh, there are Yeah, at least yeah, one. That's character true. That, there's yeah. just no, like, I mean, no one gets. The way it's approached murdered. is different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. It's a different. It's, I think, no violence. the sentiment no of Wizard of Earthsea is. Uh, is that it's not about like battles and murder and that kind of typical fantasy thinking it is like a more intimate character driven story much like the house in the cerulean sea in that way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh but yeah i think unless i'm completely mistaken here no one dies in the house in the cerulean sea at all even through like yeah even through non-murdery means and I just don't... I'm. Maybe there's another book where that happens that we read on here, but we've read a lot of books. We've done, at this point, significantly over 200 episodes. I can't think of one right
0: now. Nothing's So That out. is... I don't want to even say any yeah, names because I'm afraid to spoil something, but right. I don't think so. Right. So, so
1: restraint. To be able to trust that... Uh, obviously, this has... Transcended just fantasy readers by quite a bit. I Mm -hmm. mean, uh, like like you said, it's have has all of those bestseller lists under its belt and all that. But uh, he didn't know, I assume, when he was writing this, that it would necessarily span that much beyond the fantasy community, and to trust that fantasy readers will be invested when the stakes are kept this like this low in the sense of the actual events happening that the readers will buy into the stakes of these more emotionally driven character driven relationship driven aspects of the story so i don't know i'm extremely impressed like i (laughs) i love this book so i want to make sure i'm i'm properly effusive about it
0: right i agree a hundred percent it's it's definitely a standout for, for T.J. Clune's writing. Like I've never read any of his books before, and I'm I'm a big fan now. I it's it's rare to see an author with this much like skill and heart when it comes to characterization. Like, and it's not just like over the top good vibes, which I know it says on every description and review of this book. But it's the nuance, it's the endearment. It's the honesty that he's able to bring to it as well. It's just it's such a hard thing in my mind to, to pull off in a story. And it's a rare thing that you're able to do. And it's when you're able to create those those moments, honestly, that you can really connect with a reader. And, and I was thoroughly entertained by this book. I never found myself like counting the pages between chapters or looking at the end or this or that. I was just along for the ride. And uh, yeah, it was just... It was just um really great. And you know, we were talking about Linus Baker, and one of the things I forgot to, to mention during that conversation was I was reading T J Clune's uh like background a bio about him. He's an ex claims examiner for an insurance company. Did you know that? <laughs> mm, so I did you, not know that. You but can it makes see, a lot of sense. You can see some of that. And influence. I'm sure yeah, and I'm sure he's
1: drawing heavily from that experience uh, as being someone who actually cares about people, uh, while trying to. <laughs> like, he's like, "Well, if I'm following the rules, I would deny this like,
0: insurance claim." But it's like, do you realize what happens when you like deny an insurance claim? Like, people might well be destitute. Yeah, know? well,
1: you know, you know, in Fight Club, where yeah. that's relatively similar to Edward Norton's position in. Uh, in that movie where he's he's like talking about how he works for a car company and he looks into like uh these issues like let's say there's a brake issue or whatever i can't remember the name of of his position but he's like yeah we have this equation for like uh how much money we would lose in potential lawsuits if like if this were to get out this issue that we're having and blah, blah, blah. And we compare that to like how much money the fix would cost. And if the amount of money that fixing this stuff would cost is lower, then we just like, don't let anyone know that like these cars need to be fixed and we let people die. (laughs) And it's like, eh, that's, it's such a soul-sucking thing to imagine dealing with when you actually care about people. And that's kind of Chuck Palahniuk's uh, deal is he's like soul-sucking. Uh, right. yeah, I love Chuck Palahniuk's work. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Fight Club's originally a book by Chuck Palahniuk, if, if folks don't know. But uh, yeah, anyway, it's uh, uh, it, it makes me think about that. And uh, I'm sure it's ridiculously difficult to be in that position and i'm sure he's also drawing heavily from that experience when he does this like excellent satire of like corporate environments <laughs> bureaucracy. And bureaucracy
0: and exactly so like the that pad, element of this the stain book, on the shirt the Right. like dealings with management extremely like.
1: upper management <laughs> is such a great like name for these folks and, and, and the way he talks about it's like I, I never see them except like every once like once a year they'll serve us crappy food and like make a big deal out of the fact that like us over here in extremely upper management are serving you food like look at how much humility we're demonstrating right like, right that. even like the co-worker like, that so he funny. sat
0: next to the whole time he comes back and it's like oh thank <laughs> goodness i thought you were fired i don't have to do your work here it is i didn't do any of it, right. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, I, like, it <laughs>
1: it's so well written because it's like uh, he sees like oh wow there's a little bit of relief in his face like maybe i was missed here after all and then it turns out that the relief is just like oh, yeah, like I had to cover your cases and it was so overwhelming for me. Yeah, he didn't even like, know what happened to just him. Just a reminder it. that, yeah, that no one cares at all about him and that how much I contrast from the way that he felt so cared for um, back when he was at right. the house and was really I C.
0: I will say, you know, as a millennial, you see the guy, you know, just trying to do a good job in corporate America, not, you know, still not, he did have a house though, which I was like, ooh, this guy's got his own house, like living by himself in a home. That's pretty cool. And then, uh, yeah, like, it's yeah, like, oh, he he's now making he's okay like money. beachfront property here, like on an, a private island. Like, you know, this is pretty sweet. You know, I guess that, you know, that <laughs> he's like, doing pretty well for himself. millennial generation. It's like, wow, how could he afford a home? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah right that. so he that was more improbable is... than the
0: son of the devil being in the book i'll say that oh much more improbable <laughs> it's like single than, income than... like not even like management position guy's got his own house yeah he does definitely have to take a bus stretched a far away. my <laughs> right yeah that that definitely suspension of disbelief. stretched my yes
1: yeah, suspension of disbelief more than uh chauncey the like slime person, that the unidentified wants, wants to be a bellhop. I love yeah. that. By the way. that was so so I love Chauncey was like it, maybe Stealing my favorite the show. character yeah. in the book because just like yeah, he's just always groveling for tips. It's like <laughs> <laughs> I, and I the love overwhelming like, enthusiasm, and his demand, like the infectious
0: enthusiasm yeah. that he has for something so modest. You know,
1: right? The demand uh, that. Linus lets Chauncey do his laundry. (laughs) It's like so funny. And Linus is like, if you insist. He's like, but you'll have to tit me. It's such a like, I don't know. He, Kloon has this ability to write this kind of like, that's so random humor that actually hits without being cringy. Which is like, that is tough. Like the so random humor is like, God. It's You're a delicate right. line to walk without <laughs> being cringy, and yeah, the like it's so random that Chauncey would be like obsessed with the idea of being a bellhop, but then it's like okay this is actually like this joke is hitting and yeah and there's like
0: a payoff where he meets a real bellhop and like melts into a puddle or something it's like i didn't even know he could do that (laughs) you know yeah and and he's like the hat all i did was tell him
1: yeah he's like all i did was tell him that like he was the greatest person to ever live and he gave me a hat
0: (laughs) so true yeah that's a hundred percent right i can't tell you how many especially with like Newer authors or first-time authors or younger authors, even in TV too, like this mark is missed so when they're like trying to write for younger audiences. It's like it's so easy to miss the mark with the humor and just be like, "Ooh, that's so random!" But you're a hundred percent right. I'm just coming to this realization. T.J. Clune is like an example of all those people wish they could do what T.J. Clune has done in this story. They wish they could do it for sure i
1: mean just trying to think of other things that are able to hit that note. It's like spongebob was the old school spongebob was really good and right, just like random right. crap would get thrown in and it's like oh my god but it's so. Funny.
0: but now you got new spongebob uh, where you're like random crap is thrown in and you're like it's missing something it's not funny <laughs> yeah yeah <No. laughs> <laughs>
1: oh god it's uh, yeah uh, it's really tough what's happened happened to spongebob isn't it
0: but and i guess but you know at the end of the day no cartoon is ever as child's cartoon was ever as successful as that one so at a certain point you're like yeah how bad can you feel for spongebob <laughs> once you get
1: your own costume in my favorite video game fall guys oh god. you know you've made it and you see, <laughs> you see a lot of SpongeBob's running around in that game. Uh, you sure do.
0: Yeah. Do you think T.J. Klune is in a Fight Club? Uh, I don't doubt it. I mean, <laughs> it's not? always the pop. Just because of the. <laughs> <laughs> you know he works just because of what i was talking an, about earlier yeah he works as the next examiner for an insurance company and it's always the like publicly positive wholesome people that probably you know are going out and joining fight clubs on the side you're nothing wrong with that i'm just suspicious now <laughs> yeah I mean, that'd be an interesting we could, development we could, for his character
1: yeah, if he was in a fight club, I think that would get even more attention put on his work in the end. It'd be, I think, probably worth it. He should join a fight club. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I would support that. <laughs> I, I think that'd be cool. Because then, then then he can just, you know, drain out all of the aggression and then come back and nurture the the wholesomeness of his stories, you know? I think that's good.
1: Yeah. I'd like to see him fight Chuck Palahniuk, He was definitely in a fight club. <laughs>
0: yeah, you just have a yeah. we should just have He's a... just
1: beating the crap out of him and he's like I just want to destroy something beautiful.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'd take that action. We we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. But So with...
1: anyway, we didn't t- talk much about about Arthur. Mm-hmm. Um that's which is interesting arthur kind of just arthur has n- like no real negative points about him except he pro- like hides himself uh, to but for good reason from those around him except he, i guess hiding the fact he's a phoenix from the kids was like kind of surprising from him Uh, So he does get these moments where he also, like, eh, I guess this is part of what makes this book hit so well, is, like, the idea of accepting and coming into yourself is Mm. basically what all the characters are going through. Even the one that seems uh, most secure. Even the adults, not just the kids. Yeah, even the adults, not just the kids. Uh, Except Talia, who just... (laughs) is kind (laughs) of, like, at this point, self-actualized. But if we all had 200-plus years. Yeah, yeah. I mean.
0: And she had her moments, you know. She went over the mayor with um, her gardening abilities, and she's nicer to Mr. Baker. She She holds Mr. Baker's hand. Like, she's, you know. She does,
1: like, let people see her garden. Yes. Which was, like... She wasn't down, like, she invites uh, someone to see, was it Helen that she invites to see her guarded? Yeah, Yeah. so then, all right, all right, I'll give her that, I'll give her that. Absolutely, absolutely. Theodore lets, uh, uh, Theodore lets Linus see the horde, and also- Gives uh, back his prized uh, button. Gives back, yeah, that. I mean, that's a, and again, one of these moments where it's like one character giving another character something so small is, is made to feel so big in a way that feels natural. Again, that's, I think, Clune's specialty. Right.
0: Even with maybe the characters that get very minimal screen time, he's still able to, you know, make that trick happen, you know, he's still able to work some magic on the characters even if they get considerably less page time than others
1: yeah that's that's a really impressive thing to do
0: and I don't know what your yeah, thought was but the minute they mentioned because it was clear to me that something was obviously going to be up with Arthur from the very beginning it's like he's not just a dude and then the minute they mentioned that Phoenix exists I was like oh he's he's a Phoenix like done deal like almost instantly uh, <laughs> nah I I don't know. I knew
1: when that happened that there would be a phoenix at some point. But it was early enough in the book that I didn't I didn't necessarily know that he'd be the phoenix. And I kind of like stopped thinking about the phoenix thing after that. And I think that, I don't know, I, I knew he'd be a magical being. Right. Because when they were like, oh, there's a secret about him. I'm like, okay, so he's also a magical being. Uh, did not think of phoenix necessarily although looking back at that one line i was like oh that makes total sense that's pretty impressive they picked up on that i think that the book has these like sort of telegraphed things about it that Mm -hmm. still work really well like the fact that arthur and linus are going to get together at the end or some point before that i was like i would have bet my life savings on that (laughs) you know it is super telegraphed there's basically only two adult characters uh or like two adult male characters that and we know that this is like being wrapped up in a big gay blanket according to v schwab (laughs) so like there has to be a relationship that develops there and And it's just sometimes you see from the start the way that one character like thinks about another character and like, ooh, he likes him. And I think it's interesting. Maybe I'm jaded at this point because I've read so many fantasy books and I've just seen so many characters get together and develop relationships. And I think i feel like the magic of like rooting for two characters to get together has dwindled for me uh you have to really write like a good relationship and two characters that really like need each other and you see how they fit together and how one makes up for the other one's uh flaws and vice versa and they're greater than some of their parts like all that stuff needs to be in place or i'm just gonna like not be that invested in them getting together right but even though i knew that arthur and linus were going to get together the fact like the, just the way that clune wrote those two characters in a relationship i still was like oh like i was really rooting for them in a way that mm. is doesn't happen to me as much as it used to
0: it's true and it's interesting because we talk so much about Linus and how he was able to kind of break down that self-isolation a little bit and i feel like the same thing was happening with arthur even though he presented a very confident um father figure to a lot of people and he was a leader that a lot of people really liked and he had an impact on a lot of people he was still holding back a part of himself and he had that previous relationship with the gentleman from extremely upper management whose name was charles by the way I don't know how I feel about that. You know, being portrayed as... Do you take as that as a personal attack? A per- yeah, one like one of the few villains in the most wholesome story of all time. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> yeah, that's but... pretty...
1: That's a tough sitch for you, Charles. And that that's one of the first characters named Charles that we've come across. And it is one it's, of it's the not speaking theory. well to the character of people named Charles.
0: I know, but you know I'm a little what?
1: suspicious of you, actually, now. Mm mm-hmm. But
0: yeah, it is what it is. But it, if anything, it, it's interesting to show how Arthur had had to he didn't even like both characters don't even realize that they have these shells they need to come out of and that they've repressed parts of their selves for so long. And it's only the two of them exchanging their philosophies, being open and honest with each other and like having love for the children that are their wards and this and that that they were able to bring their full selves out to each other and i think that's why the story is so like intimate and um i'm gonna say wholesome again <laughs> expressive like all of those things because wholesome's a good word for it that wholesome's a good word for it because even though arthur parnassus presents more like the the Hunk in the Lifetime movie. It's like, oh, I'm a billionaire who lives on a on a secluded ranch and does woodworking. And your car broke down. <laughs> he has <laughs> as much money. <laughs> hey, he's got as a as house on being. in the Cerulean Sea. you know, it's pretty. You it could be worse off. But yeah, no. But he was isolated, and he had to admit some of the things about himself, and like the way he was isolating the children because he was avoiding his own. um, anxieties about opening up just like the children or he was able to help the kids but he didn't you know Lioness was able to help him and I think that's what made those final payoff moments really pay off and their relationship was so subtle I mean it was obvious but subtle at the same time eh. And it wasn't like this, the whole story wasn't built on this will they won't they. It was a very natural progression. A lot of other stuff was happening. Yeah. And then when they got together, it wasn't like, well, obviously they were going to get together, you know, <laughs> like it, it was like, oh, this is so great. I'm so happy for them kind of a thing. Like This is a great moment. So all of that. Together. Right.
1: It was like, not a will they won't they. It's a they will.
0: but the
1: (laughs) the process of watching it unfold is so uh, like worthwhile and and the way it was written was so well done i mean again the moment of like a character grabbing another character's hand becomes this huge moment and Mm. it goes to show how how awesome clune's writing is and I, i definitely walk away from this one thinking, hey, I got to check out this guy's other work. Because, I mean, we talk about voice on this podcast a decent amount. I mean, we even off the air have had a lot of conversations about, like, what does voice mean when it comes to an author? Because I think a lot of uh, agents and, uh, like, editors and folks like that in the industry, they might tell you that voice is the most important thing when it comes to, like, are we going to invest in this author? And it's such a nebulous idea, but you know it when you see it. And Kloon has so much voice. There's no one writing the way that he writes. I don't even know what to compare it to. Like, Mm. it's... uh, Like... I don't know, like the whimsical humor aspect of it. Like I can see how you might put that as like a descendant of Terry Pratchett. But if I'm going to be honest, this hits a lot better for me than does Terry Pratchett's work. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pratchett's work is was written a long time ago and sense of humor changes over time and all that. But yeah, I, I don't even really know who else I would compare it two exactly oh and on the pratchett topic just as an aside uh oh. similar element with like good omens with the yeah. use of the like anti-christ boy although right. we don't say Antichrist around here oh uh, how so. dare you <laughs> but yeah the son of the devil as a boy that yeah I don't know plays a central role in the story but anyway yeah i'm just trying to say Clun's voice is really impressive and when someone has fantastic voice it makes you want to read anything they
0: write i would agree you know I, like it's hard to find a lot of stuff to compare this to um i see um like i forget the actual it's like pedigree school of um like peculiar children you know that story apparently like oh miss peregrine yes, school miss for Peregrine's, peculiar
1: children right, right, right. right. i yeah. never read the book but i watched the movie way back on uh, i could see that i don't know if the book like the i could see it though though the, like i guess the similarities is are they're more in like plot, a building probably than of peculiar AI.
0: children <laughs> like,
1: that's for sure yeah like <laughs> But I don't know, I can't speak to any comparison in terms of voice or anything like that. But definitely could see this as being a recommendation for fans of uh, Miss Peregrine's House for Peculiar Children or whatever. It's actually very similar and a good call.
0: Right, right. And then, you know, you say Terry Pratchett, maybe also like a Douglas Adams kind of vibe where a more, uh, yeah, like, jokey satire-ish kind of vibes more american style i guess but uh, pretty much the same thing but um yeah no i i totally agree he's got his not only does he have his own voice he really just kind of has his own style and it like permeates through even the book cover which is so uh, such a standout absolutely well. just thinking about yeah that. yeah
1: because yeah also all of his book covers look pretty similar like i saw I think it's called "Under Whispering Door" yep. or something, mm. which just like has a similar. I don't know why I want to say mouth
0: feel. Is like the <laughs> that is for that is for food. <laughs> it's similar, like just the <laughs> the way that it like sounds Style, like it texture. comes out of someone's mouth. Uh,
1: yeah,
0: rhythm um, it meter, is,
1: rhythm, rhythm, rhythm is probably good. Uh, the the rhythm of just like the house in the cerulean sea under a whispering door is like very similar sounding and the way that the covers look i literally just assumed that the under whispering door was a sequel before i later found out like before i read the book i was like uh, under that impression and i believe my girlfriend told me that they were not and i was like and because i'm an ass i was like are you sure (laughs) and then i looked and i'm like i'm an idiot
0: (laughs) i see what you're saying though because they both have like these interesting architecture like houses very much like um you know the same style angular remote colorful homes and everything so i see it um and Yeah. yeah i i agree it's uh it's definitely a whole style and it it seems to be going quite well and i'm I'm super excited to see that. It's great to have like a talented person doing something different, getting you know a criti- critically acclaimed you know so I'm super happy for that. I'm super appreciative of this story for kind of breaking up our our Reading pattern, you know, I it was much I needed. Was very thankful for that experience. I'm so glad I included it in our. Um, fantasy books to take on vacation even though i had only read the first 10 15 perfect Perfect direct perfect vacation book i'm so happy that the ending came out just like i thought it was going to and uh, and uh it it lived up to that recommendation and i stand by that now having finished the story that i would definitely you know it's so short and so fun to read that you could take that on the beach you know and the setting too is also kind of oh yeah the setting that's what I was thinking yeah yeah.
1: so the whole thing is just great I you know when I was in Florida I was on the beach reading The Hunger of the Gods by (laughs) John Gwynn which is like a cold Nordic setting and I I post a picture of it like me reading (laughs) that book on the beach and people are like there could be no like (laughs) more different a match between like where you are what you're doing and what you're reading (laughs) i was like that that is very fair so i would feel a lot um well you could have read cold from the north
0: because you were warm in the south you know so I did read uh, D.W. D- Ross's
1: Cold from the North when I was. I- I'm pretty sure I made the exact same <laughs> joke that you just made when we did our episode on mm. that. I did say I read it when I was uh, like. Hot in the south or warm in the south? Hot in the south sounds a little.
0: Uh, <laughs> Hot in the south sounds, sounds, a, bit, uh, yeah, sounds <laughs> oh, a bit. It also like sounds a bit
1: like Yes, okay. I figure. <laughs> now, warm in the south also fa- sounds raunchy. <laughs> I just don't think we're going to be able to to get away from from that discussion. So, I'm uh, just gonna I'm just gonna move move towards something else and say. What a great book, House in the Cerulean Sea is. Book.
0: So good and um, highly, you know, highly praised. I, I, it was such a great experience to read on top of the fact that it was a good story. And I'm looking forward to checking out Under the Whispering Door. I see another book, The Lives of Puppets, um, has a 2023 publication. Oh, expected on April 25th, 2023. So there you go. It's coming out in like, oh wow 11 days so there you go who could have who would have thought this be might so release like the week it comes this out might yeah. release if not like
1: close to the day right like let's right?
0: let's check this the schedule here so monday is going to be oh it depends because you know it will be the day before. on tuesday
1: so it'll come out the it'll, day before it'll come out yeah. the day before Unless we decide to release it on Tuesday for some reason, but I assume we'll just do Monday because... So, um,
0: I mean, check it right. out. Let's read the description here. In a strange little home built into the branches of a grove of three trees live three robots. Is every book Kloon writes a strange <laughs> little, like a strange little home or whatever that A remote uh, home, yeah, because this one is like literally like tree yeah. houses, yeah. Fatherly inventor android Giovanni Lawson, a pleasantly sadistic nurse machine, and a small vacuum desperate for love and attention. So you got the found family, eclectic cast, remote locate exotic location. You got all the ingredients for the epic mouthfeel of a wholesome story, right, Dylan? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh,
1: that did not have good ear feel hearing you <laughs> say that. Well, now you know what I had to experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was having a conversation yesterday with uh, a couple other students in my PhD program. And uh, the like. one of them kept telling me how they hate the sound of the word troubleshooting. Like, hmm. I don't know. That's not one that's ever hate is a strong been an issue for me. Yeah, he was he was passionate about his distaste for that word, like, wow, and he and was the talking about age, how gotta be tough. he had a stats. Oh yeah, he was like, I had a stats uh, teacher's assistant in like my first year class, who's actually the stats teaching assistant, also a friend of mine and a fantasy fan. But hey, I won't name out. them, <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, they were like. And they just kept using the word troubleshoot like two or three times a day, (laughs) uh, like during the class. And I was like, okay, I could see that being a lot. Yeah, I can see now once you start to notice it it and then it
0: kept like this self-fulfilling prophecy of like, he keeps saying it. That can get annoying no matter what the word is.
1: Yeah, so that and he was like. I felt like she was leveraging her power over. Like, he was joking, but he was like, "I feel like she was leveraging her power over me <laughs> to make me listen to the word troubleshoot <laughs> like over and over."
0: Again. Just like so, diving okay. into yeah, your fears, right? Isn't that what Arthur Parnassus tried to do for some of the kids, like, or to Lioness? <laughs> <laughs> are, are you seriously trying to relate
1: this back to the book? It's a,
0: it's a noble effort there, Charles.
1: <sighs> well, you respect we it. You're a master of your craft of podcasting. But you know, once we start uh, chopping it up about Mm -hmm. the, yeah, some people don't love when I say that. (laughs) Once we start chopping it up about the, uh, we're troubleshooting, we're probably nearing the end of an episode. I Mm -hmm. I think I've said what I want to on the House in the Cerulean Sea here. One of my favorite books that I've read uh this year for sure well, and i would agree i highly recommend to i mean you are at the end of like an <laughs> hour and five minute episode where we spoiled the book so maybe this is not the time consider to checking the, the other books I, that's how yeah. i got into the yes the whole <laughs> thing with the other books <laughs> yes oh yes Thank you for troubleshooting uh, my issues. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there, yeah, yeah. I am definitely going to want to check out those other books. I recommend you do too. And I recommend you keep spreading the love about the house in the cerulean sea. It's, uh, it's definitely getting a lot of love already, but it can always use more just like a child uh, living in an orphanage on mm-hmm.
0: the sea. Well said Dylan. And I think the only thing to do now is to play that sweet, sweet outro music. What do you say?
1: I say, let's get that sweet, sweet outro music pumping, Charles. Okay.
0: Thank you all, one and all, so, so much for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you heard today. That's us. That's us. Let us know <laughs> over on social media. That's at the FTF Podcast on Instagram and at the FTF Podcast with a number one on the end on Twitter let us know what you think uh, over there now Dylan if they like what they heard today and they're already supporting us over on social media but they want to support us even further what can they do toss
1: five stars to our podcast which you can now do on Spotify where most of you are Listening, it's just two clicks over there at the top of the Friends Talking Fancy podcast feed, and helps us so much when you do that. You can also rate and or review over on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate any folks who take the time to write up kind words about sure FTF. Uh, it always puts a smile on my face, and presumably on Charles's face as well. You presume but, correctly. You don't have to make Charles smile. Just (laughs) listening is more than enough. Thank you so much
0: for doing that. You don't have to, but you already did just because you listened all the way to the end. Thank you all so, so much for doing that. We love you. And as always, go forth and conquer, friends.